Hello and welcome to Tour of Truth with Krista and Company. Today's company, Dan and Babs Is It from Zimbabwe. It is such an honor and a privilege for those of you listening. Once you hear them share their testimony, you'll understand why. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Krista, for inviting us. It's our privilege just to sit here with you and just discuss our lives because at the end we want Jesus to be glorified. And that's the name we want lifted up higher. Amen. When I first met Dan, you, you gave me this hug, and it was probably an 8 to 10 second hug, and then he told me that every good hug has to be 8 to 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but you've pretty much made a ministry out of daddy hugs, haven't you? Oh yes, it's something which I really felt the Father spoke to me a number of years ago, just to give people a daddy hug. And you'll be surprised at how many people have never had a daddy hug, have never experienced one, or been afraid to get one or give one, whatever it is. And it is. It's a ministry that I really know the Father has given us to do. Before Dan gives you some stories, I can, I can actually confirm with him that that's so true, that the Father gave him this instruction. I was in a, in a silversmith shop in our home city, Harare in Zimbabwe, and we were just getting some stuff, and there was a little lady in front of me. And by virtue of our cultures and that would have been wrong for me to hug her and for her to hug me but I just looked at her and I said I would love to give you or do you mind if I gave you a daddy hug and she looked quizzically at me and she said what is a daddy hug so I said I've got to give it to you show you so I hugged her and it's at least eight to ten seconds at the end she was just sobbing and then she just turned around to me through her tears and she just said I've never ever had a daddy hug in my life before it's such a god thing Mm-hmm. because that's how I see our loving Heavenly Father. Yeah. When we mess it up, He just takes us and, and just hugs us and just gives us a start all over again. Or just such an expression of His love to us. It is. And so, aside from Daddy Hugs, you've also been in ministry for the last 30 years or so. Is that right? Or is it longer? No, it's longer. I actually was a youth pastor back in 75. Mm-hmm. So what's that, 25 plus another 19 Oh, wow. 44 years, yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually preached my first sermon when I was at school and kind of let it out in 1963. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then went into full-time ministry, planted our own church back in 1981. We retired from ministry now. Before ministry, you have quite a testimony that God has given you today. Yes. Maybe you need to start with me as a younger boy. In our nation, we have school. At around about the age of 12, 13, we go from primary school to high school. And I went to a technical high school, which involved metalwork and woodwork and that. And I would burn my hands and get splinters in my hands, but feel no pain. But at that age, I think you've got more hormones rushing around in your body than red blood cells. (laughs) And I just thought, this happens to every young boy at that age. In our nation, we were in a civil war at that time. And when you left school, basically, within the year, you went into the military draft And we just waited for it. So I left school, did a year of college, and then was drafted in. And suddenly you got this discipline thrown at you, which is a bit difficult to fall into place. And so we were standing outside the medical officer to to get tested to see if we were fit to be in the military. And were you stripped down naked? There's all these bunch of guys hanging around naked to go into the doctor's office. You walk in and you're shouting out your name and your number. I actually still remember my number from way back then, P43818. I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) And walked in and you walk up to the doctor, shouting your name and your number, do a spin around, a pirouette in front of the doctor and stand back. 
and he looked at me and he says, what are those brown marks on the back of you? So I said, I don't know, so I've never seen them. <laughs> They're behind you, right? They were behind me, I'd never seen them. So he, he turned and he checked me through, oh yeah, you can breathe, you can talk, you can walk, we're going to teach you to kill now or be killed, whatever it was, the military. So I went from there, I was doing civil engineering construction, and I just traveled way out into the boonies. I went to go and see a dermatologist before that to show him my brown patches. <laughs> this is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and, and here I was, and he was, was an old man with white hair. I didn't have white hair at that time. I had to pull my trousers down so that he could see the brown patches on me there, as he told me. And he pulled out this magnifying glass as big as his face. <laughs> so that's hilarious. I'd never been under that scrutiny in my life before. Inspecting me with this mirror, he just said it was a fungal growth. Well, I went off miles from anywhere and built the dam. We worked on the construction of this. Then I moved to build another dam and moved to a place called Rosapi. And on the 16th of October, 1969, at 8.47 in the evening, I met my wife-to-be. Met her, proposed to her on the 25th of December, 1969. You weren't wasting any time. <laughs> no ways. No, no. The Bible says if a man finds a wife, finds a good thing. And I knew I had a good thing. <laughs> At 3.30 in the afternoon, and we got married on the 15th of August, 1970. So in the November, I was on the construction site, and I came out in a rash all over my body. And so I went to see a dermatologist again. The doctor looked at me, he said, I know what's wrong with you. So I said, oh, good. I'm glad you know what's wrong with you. He says, you have a sexually transmitted disease. It was a bit of a shock to me. So I said, no. He said, yes. I said, no. He said, yes. So I said, well, why are you so certain? I said, both my wife and I had retained our virginity to give to the person we're going to spend the rest of our lives with. That's not the case. Well, he took a blood test and it came back positive. And at the end of it, the doctors called me and just said, we don't know what's wrong with you. We've treated you with every kind of medicine we possibly can. We've thrown everything at you and you're just not responding at all. Sent to a consulting physician and eventually he took a skin scrape off my forehead Within the week, I was called in to see the government doctor. He said, Mr. and Mrs. Izzet, we know what's wrong with you. I said, wow. I said, is it a sexually transmitted disease? He says, no, you've got what we call Hansen's disease. Well, I looked absolutely baffled. I looked at Babs. And I we think were we both were baffled. Baffled. I'd never heard of Hansen's disease in my life before. So I said, can you explain it? And he said, you have lepromatous leprosy. That shook me. Lepromatous leprosy is, at that, as it was diagnosed that time, is the highest level of leprosy bacilli you can have in your body. So we discussed the drug regime, drugs for the rest of your life. So I said, what's the purpose of the drugs? To, to break down the bacilli count in your body. So I said, good, so is there anything else? And he said, look, we've been doing experimentation with some drugs, which today are the mainline drugs for leprosy. I think my life just flashed through me. I'm sure my career, my marriage. So anyway, I got home. There was a deafening silence as we drove home. What was the future? And I got home and I thought the most honorable thing that I could do is release Babs of the marriage and let her live her life again. We sat down and said, we can cancel our marriage, have it annulled. I never knew I had leprosy. You didn't know. I said, most probably I would never have gotten married had I known. To which she replied, no. She says, I love you. And she said, we made a promise before God. 
until death do us part. When he first said to me, you know, this is the most honourable thing I can do, is for you to start your life again, I was almost angry. I said, but how can we do that? You know, for starters, I love you. And then we made a commitment. Made a commitment mm. to each other at that, at that time. Well, anyway, they told us, have children, just live your life normally. It's not genetically passed on. So we had our children and first son came, second son came. Well, Babs was pregnant with our mm. second son, wasn't pregnant. it? Yeah. And she came out in brown patches. You want to share the rest there? I went to see the gynecologist and he said, it's only because you, you're pregnant, it's a hormone imbalance, so nothing to worry about. And then a little while later, I burnt my arm just by my elbow and I didn't feel it. Mm. And then Dan said, we're going to have you tested. We went along to the leprosy doctor, called him in. Now, one of the things with leprosy, it doesn't eat your flesh, but what it does is it attacks the nerves. One of the things do is you lose the sensation. You do not feel heat or cold or anything like that. Now, with my diagnosis, because I'm so far gone, I have limited feeling to above my elbows, above my knees, and about 70% of my face. Well, the doctor came along and he diagnosed leprosy straight away. There were brown patches on Babs. They weren't hormonal imbalances. Mm-hmm. It was leprosy. And that in itself was so ironic because from what we understand today, only 5% of people actually carry a gene to even contract leprosy. Yes. So here you are put together, obviously yeah. by a divine appointment, and you had the same gene mm-hmm. out of you know such a small percentage of people who could even carry it. That's right. When I was diagnosed, we almost immediately said to each other, God is in this. There's something he wants us to do with this disease. It was in 1977. Mm. Yeah, so that's quite a long time ago. So anyway, Babs took the drugs. The brown patches went purpley color. Plummy color, isn't it? Yeah, it's more a plum color. (laughs) And so I looked like a Dalmatian. I mean, the only thing we could do was laugh about it and said those were my Dalmatian years. (laughs) But finally, they did disappear. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's right. That is. (laughs) And that's the one thing we're always very thankful for is that somehow God has enabled us to keep our sense of humor. (laughs) Also, you had to tell your children, Mm -hmm. and that was a difficult thing to do. It was. Well, we thought it was going to be very difficult, but God had already gone ahead of us. We had told them that we were taking them away for the weekend because we had something to tell them. How old were they? I think they were possibly about six and eight or seven and nine, Mm -hmm. around about that age. We thought they're at the age now where they need to know. So we took them up into the mountains for the weekend and came the time and we said to them, well, we need to tell you that both dad and mom have had leprosy. So our older son looked at us and said, oh, is that all? (laughs) And then the comments came from them. We thought you were going to say dad wasn't our dad or that you were getting divorced or that mom wasn't our mom. We were adopted. Leprosy, that's nothing. Piece of cake. (laughs) It wasn't as traumatic as we thought it was going to be. God had gone ahead. God had gone ahead of us and just rescued us, yeah. So the years went by in 1978, I think it was, I'd got cracks on my heels. I hadn't looked after my feet. And because of the leprosy, the damage to the nerves, my skin got very dry. So one morning I thought I'd stand in some hot water, let my skin get all soft, rub all the dead skin off, put cream on and go to work. So I did that, fixed myself a basin of hot water. And then when I got home that evening, I said to Babs, my feet feel funny. 
and I'd boil both my feet from the ankles down. The end result was three years later, in 1980, I had my one leg amputated because osteomyelitis, which was a bone infection, had gone into the bones and just destroyed the bones. So, fat man with one leg hopping to get to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just more props God gave to show his glory, you know? (laughs) There's one thing, Chris, we've try to maintain all along as we've never allowed our illness misfortune to define our lives our image is found in jesus christ regardless of how cracked the mirror is at times how misty the mirror is we want to portray the life of christ in us with the stigma that comes with leprosy how did that affect you did you have to keep this a secret to begin with the doctors had told us don't tell people you know what's wrong with you because they won't understand and then we understood the stigma so we basically told our family of course all knew but we didn't talk about it at all and we told a few very very close friends as well but that was basically all and then what happened in the year 98 was it 98 or 99 i suddenly saw two brown patches on the inside of my leg my legs and I was absolutely horrified you can imagine what brown patches mean to us mm. went to see my doctor and he said I have no idea he says I you know more about leprosy than me it's a disease which doctors don't have a lot of training in unless they specifically go down that road he took as a biopsy of it but I got home and we were, we were a bit distraught about it trying to figure it out in our lives and we starting all over again and a fellow we knew a friend of ours came to visit us And he sat in our lounge and he said, "Um, do you mind if I stayed for a few days? Well, he measured days by the month. So we we just didn't feel like entertaining anybody. So he made a half-lie excuse. We emotionally weren't ready to have people staying in our home and said sorry. So he he turned around and says, oh, I've got a doctor just moved in next door to us in the capital city. So I said, oh, okay. So what does that mean, you know? And he says, he's the doctor with the leprosy mission. Well, I picked my ears up and I couldn't wait for him to go because as soon as he left I phoned my doctor I said Kevin can I phone Steve and he said yeah with pleasure he knows more than me phone Steve and he came tested me again sent results through to St Guy's Thomas Tropical Disease Hospital in London and it came back was no live leprosy bacilli it was all dead bacilli and that was 1972 to um, 1998 97 so all of 25 years dead leprosy bacilli was still being dumped out of my body there is a cure for leprosy then correct you're considered cured are you not oh absolutely when we were diagnosed was drugs for the rest of your life but since the mid 80s we have a thing called multi-drug treatment it's a cocktail of three antibiotics and depending on the amount of bacilli in a person's body it's either six months a year or two years of the drugs but what happens once you start taking the drugs within 48 hours 97 98 percent of the bacilli is killed off and you're totally non-infectious so what happens is why do we go that extra time then is because we don't want that little percentage left to restart its life cycle all over again so we just make sure we we hit the bacilli and just kill it off completely so now suddenly our name we're known amongst the leprosy medical circles and well we were caucasians we were educated husband gave leprosy to his wife this is unusual 
Mm. We weren't poverty stricken, we weren't villagers. So they wanted our testing. Well, that took some time to get out of us. Oh my goodness me. We prayed and we prayed. We said, you've got two months before we do the article. You've got one month, do you want to do it anonymous? We said, we're not anonymous people, but knowing in the back of our minds, we were said, keep quiet about it, don't broadcast it. So one morning we were just praying and really sort of what I like to call white knuckle praying, kneeling next to the bed and Lord, we need an answer today sort of type thing. <laughs> and the Spirit of God reminded us of an uncle telling his niece one day, Esther, for such a time like this, you're in the king's palace. So we took it as a very positive word. She said, no, I'm going to get killed if I go to the king. She says, no, for such a time, you're in the king's palace. God's hand is in this. So we phoned him up and said, okay, we'll give our testimony. But first of all, we give our testimony to our church. Imagine if you're in a church and you get a magazine and you open it up and your pastor and his wife have had leprosy. So the big day came and we just told people that Dan and Bab's going to give their testimony. Well, people came from all over the place. They drove two hours to come mm. and listen to our testimony. They had no idea what it was. <laughs> so we sat there and I was as nervous as a snake in a corner. My goodness me. Stood up, told our story and got to the point where I was diagnosed with leprosy. Then I got Steve, the doctor, said, Steve, come and tell everybody about leprosy. And he came and gave the medical side of things, which cleared the air very nicely. Mm. Very, very nice. I don't think there was a dry eye in the service yeah, that morning. Yeah, it was a very emotional... Emotionally charged um, thing. But then afterwards I said, now I need to come back. I need to finish my sermon now. So what happened is this intrusion into my life came. I knew there was something wrong, but I lived in denial. This happens to everybody. I think... That's a pretty good Christian reflection on a lot of attitudes and that. Isn't that so often as Christian believers? We feel something's wrong. There's a check in our spirits. Everybody's doing it. This is not as bad. I can handle it. Living in denial, which leads to not hearing the voice of the Spirit anymore, which leads to an infection. In my case, it went as far as an amputation. And that was just such an incredible lesson that God had taught us just from that. Hear the voice. Don't live in denial. Respond to it. The end result is something you live with. I've walked with a limp since 1980, more than half of my life, because I didn't listen to that voice at the beginning. And so how did your church receive you? It was incredible. We went to the back of the church, which we don't normally do. We normally have a time of, of ministry after the service, but we felt that we needed to go to the back of the church and just greet the people. Well, I don't think anyone walked past us. They all hugged us. Some people kissed us and said, why didn't you tell us before? It would have made us understand a lot of things that you've been going through a lot better. We both said we were terrified. We were scared of rejection. You know, we just didn't know how people would receive it. And that's why we kept silent. I think it's important for those listening to also hear that this really is actually an epidemic of Mm. sorts. It's not so much in Western America, but this is something that is affecting people across the world in places like India, Brazil, and Indonesia predominantly, but also sometimes in the U.S. It is something that Mm -hmm. still happens, and the reason that I say that is because for me, I had only heard of leprosy in the Bible, Mm -hmm. you know? And there's so many people, I think, that just really don't understand that American Leprosy Mission, with the work that they're doing, 
to bring a cure. And they've been able to cure over 4 million people. But there's 117 countries that have reported new cases. Mm-hmm. And so it is something that is still out there. And fortunately, we have a, a foundation like American Leprosy Mission that's working to help. But not only are they trying to bring a cure to the disease, they also serve as a channel of Christ's love mm-hmm. to people that are affected by leprosy. I, and I love that, that this mission is a Christian mission mm-hmm. and that they are coming alongside of the people that are affected to try to help them not only with the disease, but also to help heal them body, spirit, and provide some dignity and hope back mm-hmm. to their lives. Mm-hmm. And it is horrible to see the images of what leprosy can do when it's left untreated. It, right. It's really a scary thing. It's scary. To add to what you've been saying, leprosy is a very strange disease. The bacilli can only be cultivated on the footpad of a nine-banded armadillo. You cannot cultivate the bacilli on a, in a petri dish in a laboratory. Wow. It's incredible. <laughs> Don't ask me how they found that out. I haven't researched it, but they've just, they've just found it. Those were some kind of scientists they've got there, huh? <laughs> I believe it's God-inspired. It's got it's to be. God-inspired. God the other thing is the long-term incubation period of it. Now, a vaccine, we call it LebVac, leprosy vaccination. It isn't really a vaccination. If you have a polio vaccination or a measles vaccination flu, you get given a bit of that disease. Now, that wouldn't help with leprosy. I remember some years ago, I was in Scotland, and Professor Ken Smith of Aberdeen University did his talk, and he put up a classical DNA spiral. And he pointed out and he said, you see that patch over there? Yeah, that little sparkle. He said, yeah. He said, if we see that in your DNA, you can get leprosy. What it is, there's a protein missing in your body, we found out. And what the vaccine does is it teaches your body to make that protein to give you protection from leprosy. So it's taken us 10 years, 12 years to develop the vaccine. And we're hoping within the next year or so to have it available with FDA approval to use in the world. That's the American, American leprosy missions who are doing all this. Mm. Wow, it, it really is some incredible work. Just hearing from the doctors that they have on their team, mm-hmm. amazing men of God that are mm-hmm. gifted scientifically and medically, mm-hmm. and it's just wonderful that they've dedicated themselves mm-hmm. to the cause. It's incredible. Here we are doing research on a multi-million dollar highly scientific accelerator to meet the man that is soaking his foot in a dollar basin. That's God. That's God. God, It is. I did want to ask, there is the stigma with leprosy, but I think that there's also the stigma with the word leper. Isn't that right? It's not a word that someone that's been affected with leprosy wants to be called. I feel like it's important to educate so people have an understanding. It's a word that carries ugliness. Yeah. And it doesn't portray someone as lovable, That's you know, right. and it doesn't define who they are. Mm-hmm. That's correct. One of the arguments is if you've had cancer and you've been cured and you've beaten the cancer, you're not called a cancerer. Right. If you've had flu, you're not called a fluer. <laughs> and if you've had leprosy, you've been treated, the disease has been broken in your body, you still suffer the effects of, of the disease, but you don't have leprosy anymore. So this is where the term leper is a term that lasts you for the rest of your life, whereas I am a person that had leprosy, perhaps as a business, had leprosy, we've been cured. I just struggled what the disease has done to me. So we would call it a person affected by leprosy. But then that includes our children. Um, it includes our parents, our whole family circle. I have a story to tell you about my mother. You know, can you imagine when I had to tell my mother that I'd been diagnosed with leprosy? 
and that would be devastating for ex- a mother to hear. Exactly. And especially when I would have contracted the disease at about the age of five. From the time that I was diagnosed to the time that she died was 43 years. Never once did I hear her say the word leprosy. She would say, that disease you had, those people you work with, never. It's a mother's love. It's a mother's love. You know, I, I don't know if she ever felt responsible. She never said a word. But I'll see in heaven one day and I'll ask her. And then came the day when Babs had got leprosy. Seven years after we'd been married, it was without any reasoning, she got it from me. We had to tell my mom that I'd given Babs leprosy. And it was in the most inconvenient mm. time. We were flying through the city of Johannesburg in South Africa. Met my mom and my sister-in-law in the passage of an airport. And what if there's just people everywhere? I remember just standing in the corridor and having to tell mom that Babs had been diagnosed with leprosy. That's why she had those patches. And I'm sure she walked away and wept a tear. She um, was crying when she, was when crying. she turned. It's so hard on a family when any disease strikes. Like you said, it affects everyone. But praise God that he's been able to take what the enemy meant to cause harm that's right to turn it for good and for his glory incredibly i just wonder if there are any closing remarks that either of you would have any words of wisdom or things that you want to leave us with through the many years that we've had difficulties being challenged with the various aspects of leprosy loss of income because you're sick these have been difficult years but i think there's one thing that i'd like to say is that the holy spirit has just kept us so close to him Mm. at all the times and their time no food in the house but just God would provide in the most unusual ways. But I think the key thing is your trust in God. Mm -hmm. You've got to know that it doesn't matter what you're going through, Mm -hmm. that the Father knows, that you are cupped and covered in His hands, that He loves you, Mm -hmm. and that the scripture that says everything works together for good at times doesn't seem to be working out. But hold on Mm -hmm. and just trust the Lord that you will come out at the end of the day. You will smile at the end of the day. You will see the enemy defeated through broken bodies. And sometimes, isn't it such a blessing to actually have affliction come our way? Sometimes that very thing that draws us into the intimacy, into that close relationship with the Lord, He is all we need. That's Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. I think just a phrase I don't think I've ever used before is, don't waste your sorrows. I think I've read that somewhere, but but don't waste your sorrows. Let them rather be stepping stones. Yeah, love that. He is a faithful God. And we thank God so many times for what he's meant to us and what, what he's done for us through the challenges in life. He is the kindest, the most compassionate, and he never for a moment leaves you alone. Amen. Pastor Dan, would you mind closing us in prayer? I'd love to do that. Heavenly Father, we are just sitting here today, but connected to our listeners. And the reason being is you, Jesus. If we did not know Jesus, we wouldn't even be doing this podcast. But because of you, you are the center of our lives. Mm -hmm. And Lord, every person that's heard this, may their hearts be touched. May they not feel sorry for us. But Lord, coming through very powerfully, we want people to understand that you're a loving God, Mm. you're a compassionate God. There is a mysterious side to God that we don't understand. There are things that you allow in our lives Mm. which we don't understand. But what we do know is that you are our God. You care for us and you look after us. Mm. So Father, every ear that hears these voices that we've spoken, may you be their strength, may you be their joy, even in pain, in sorrow, in a lack of understanding of their situation. Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to each and every one of them. So we just thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the blessed name of Jesus, what he means to us. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Holy Spirit, make us more like him every day. 
Amen. Amen. In Matthew 10:8, in the Word of God, we find where Jesus told us, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. If you'd like to learn more about leprosy, or if you'd like to support the mission, you can find American Leprosy Missions at leprosy.org. If you'd like to hear this podcast again, or if you'd like to hear another one, you can find us at touroftruth.com. We'll look forward to chatting with you again soon. 